0: Their razors provide a smooth shave every time. And their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, hel gold. The Peter Schiff Show. Quick announcement at the beginning of this podcast. I will be in Orlando. I'm flying up there tomorrow. I'll be there for a Wednesday, Thursday, coming back Friday. I have several uh, speaking events. I've got a couple of workshops. So if you are in the uh, Orlando area, come by The Money Show. You can register online. It's free. You can pick up your badge when you're there. Even if you're not in the area, you know, you can fly down. There's a lot of flights coming down to Orlando. Not a bad place to be in the wintertime. We will have a booth in the exhibit hall. There will be some Europac employees there. So look forward to seeing uh, clients or listeners to uh, my podcasts, you know last week, I spoke about Donald Trump and his basic weak dollar policy talking about how the euro is too low and the yen is too low, and we know he thinks that Chinese yuan is too low. Well, over the weekend, German finance minister came out and agreed with Donald Trump and said yes, the euro is too low, and we know that the Bundesbank does not approve. ...of the easy money policies, the QE, the negative interest rates uh, that Draghi and the ECB have forced upon them. And I believe that rising German opposition, as well as rising inflation, both in Germany and throughout the European Union... ...will ultimately force uh, the ECB to abandon this monetary policy, maybe even at the same time that the Federal Reserve is finally coming to terms or admitting... Uh, that they're about to ease again. They're going to be cutting rates and doing QE4. No, we got the jobs numbers that came out on Friday. I did a video blog about it where, to me, the numbers seem troubling for the Fed because even though we created better than 200,000 jobs, the number of people who rejoined the workforce who now want jobs jumped dramatically. So you have a lot of people looking for jobs. The jobs aren't there. And so the unemployment rate going to come up, there'll be wage pressures, and that is going to, uh, you know, push the Fed in an easing direction. In fact, we got some numbers that came out today on consumer credit. And credit card debt grew by the smallest amount since 2013, which is a good thing in that we don't want consumers taking on credit. I mean, it's it's bad economically to borrow money to consume. I really made that point in my book. Uh, How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. If you haven't read that book, I suggest you pick up a copy at shiftbooks.com. But the point is that it's good that consumers are taking on less debt. Of course, if you're a retailer and you're depending on those, you know, indebted consumers to go deeper into debt to buy your stuff, that's a bad sign. If it means consumers are tapped out, if you're an employee for one of these companies, You know, look at Macy's is about to get bought out, I guess, by a Canadian company, and they may be buying them out for their real estate. They may be shutting down uh, most of the Macy's stores. Who knows? Maybe they'll shut down all the Macy's stores. But if consumers are at the end of their line as far as their ability to take on debt, and if the Fed were to even raise interest rates, making whatever debt they had even more expensive to service, that would be a bigger problem. But, you know, also in the consumer credit numbers, we had another jump to an all time record high when you add up student loans and auto debt. I mean, you're talking about over two and a half trillion dollars of auto debt and student debt, which, of course, when you borrow money to buy a car, right, your car depreciates very rapidly, right? A car, you know, after, you know, five, six, seven years, your car is worth maybe 20 percent of what you paid for it. Uh, But, you know, how much is the loan? I mean, the loan can still be a significant amount of money. And of course, these college degrees are pretty much worthless the minute you graduate. I mean, they depreciate faster than a car. In fact, they probably never even had any value to begin with. So many of these degrees are really literally worthless in the marketplace. Yet you have uh, students paying tens of thousands or you know, even over $100,000 to get master's degrees, which are as worthless as the undergraduate degrees in some of these subjects. But no one really cares because, you know, it's just a bunch of kids. What do they know? And they're borrowing all this free money that's being doled out by the government. But that's a lot of debt with no real collateral behind it. You know, a used car and a worthless liberal arts degree. So for some reason, you still have auto debt and student debt rising, but credit card debt slowing down. I mean, maybe that's about all they can handle uh, once they borrow all this money to go to college. Maybe the students can't put as much debt on their credit card or They're putting it all into their homes. But these bubbles are going to burst, particularly the auto bubble. It's got to be very, very troubling, especially if you look now uh, at some of the inventory numbers out there of unsold uh, cars building up uh, on lots around the country. And you already have this debt bubble, which means at some point uh, the car buying public exhausts its capacity to take on more debt. And the lenders realize that they've already loaned too much money. And, of course, if interest rates go up, that's only going to cause the air to come out of this bubble that much faster, which is the last thing the Federal Reserve wants to have. You know, we got some numbers today, too, on the U.S. trade deficit, which the December number came out and it was a little bit smaller than estimates, although they revised up in November. So it was kind about a push. But overall... The deficit in 2016, this is the unified deficit, which is the deficit in merchandise, but it's offset by a surplus that we have in services. But that unified trade deficit ended 2016 at $502.3 billion. Uh, That is the highest uh, annual trade deficit in four years. And to me, it indicates that the unhealthy economy is getting sicker. Certainly, Donald Trump, when he ran for office, The trade deficit was a big issue for him. He wants to bring down the trade deficit. The trade deficit is going up. And in fact, I think it's going to continue to go up throughout his presidency, unless, I guess, if we have massive tariffs that diminish the ability to import. But of course, that's also going to bring about an even more severe recession. I have no idea if that's actually going to happen. But absent something like that, the trade deficits are going to go up especially if I'm right on the dollar going down. And if the dollar goes down, and now, again, you've got uh, the German finance minister and President Trump agreeing the dollar is too strong. And if the dollar goes down, it's simply going to make our imports that much more expensive, and therefore it will widen the trade deficit. you know, I actually expected the dollar to go down somewhat uh, on Monday or today, and the dollar was a bit firmer. Gold, on the other hand, continued uh, to rally. You know, I, I I mentioned on my video blog that I thought that gold would have risen on the jobs numbers, but for the huge rally in the stock market that kind of kept a, a lid on it. But I thought we'd get a delayed reaction, and we did on Monday. We got a big spike up in the price of gold, about $15 bucks, uh, uh, an ounce, silver up as well. You know, gold stocks, huge. We had the uh, GDXJ, which is an index of junior gold miners, was up about seven and a half, seven point eight 7.8% yesterday, I think. Huge move. It gave back about a percent today, but it's still up 33% on the year. That is a huge move that nobody is talking about. I mean, gold itself is up about 7% on the year. The Dow Jones, which everybody is talking about because it's at 22,000, is only up just over 1%. So, much more action taking place in gold, a lot more action taking place in gold stocks, yet nobody is really talking about it. I'm not seeing a lot of flows, inflows either into these gold ETFs or gold stock ETFs. So, pretty much this rally is a stealth rally. Nobody is noticing it, no one is talking about it. I think it's probably going to go a lot higher. But I want to let me get back to this trade deficit because you know, I was watching Larry Kudlow on CNBC the other day. And he was making the point that we need a trade deficit, that the trade deficit is good because it helps finance a capital account surplus. Now, what is the capital account surplus that supposedly is so good that we need a trade deficit? Well, the capital account is investment flows. So what happens is foreigners sell us products and we buy those products and now they get dollars. And because we don't have products for them to buy, they take those dollars and they buy assets in the United States. Sometimes they buy a bond, treasury bond or a corporate bond. Sometimes they buy shares of stock, right? They could just go out, buy IBM stock, or they could buy out a whole company, right? A company can take over an American company, or they can buy U.S. real estate. They can buy a private company. So we have a deficit in the goods account, but we have a surplus in the, the capital account. And of course, this is supposedly good news, right? Hey, we have a surplus, this is not a good news, right? This is like, you know, it's not good if you have a surplus of water in your basement. A surplus isn't always good. In a, in a capital account, you don't want a surplus. You want a deficit. You want to be accumulating assets in other countries because that's how you get rich. Look, America used to have a capital account surplus during the years that we ran trade surpluses a long time ago. That was good. You see, when... Foreigners buy a U.S. asset; they get richer. When we trade our assets for consumer goods, we get poorer. I mean, think about it. Like, let's say I own a farm, and instead of actually farming, I just I imp- I import food from some other farm. And to pay for the food, I gradually sell off, you know, my chickens, uh, my uh, my cows. Uh, you know my land, you know my horses. I just keep selling off little pieces of my farm, right? So I have a capital account surplus, right? Because people are buying up my assets while I'm importing and running a trade deficit by buying everybody else's food. But in the long run, I'm, I'm going boat broke because I just lost my farm. I sold all my assets so that I can consume. The fact that we are selling off our country piecemeal in order to live beyond our means, how can Larry Kudlow think that this is a good thing? How can he want it to continue? I suppose if all you care about is the value of the stock market, yes, as foreigners keep buying U.S. stocks, it pushes up the value of the U.S. stock market. But if in the final analysis, all the shares are owned by foreigners because Americans had to hock their stock in order to eat or in order to buy some foreign trinkets that we didn't make ourselves— This is not a good thing. And of course, yes, is it good if foreigners want to invest in the United States? Sure. But we don't have to run a trade deficit in order for that to happen. I mean, foreigners have so much money that they can invest in the United States without having to run higher trade deficits to do it. Look, what we want as a nation is we want to export more than we import so that we can earn a profit, right? So that we can have a surplus so that we can go buy up assets in Germany. So Americans can buy up assets in Japan or Switzerland or France or anywhere in the world, right? You want to accumulate assets. Why would you want to accumulate liabilities? In fact, a lot of our current capital account surplus is when foreigners buy our bonds. Well, when a foreigner buys an American bond, the foreigner becomes a creditor. We are a debtor. The foreigner gets to collect interest every year on his bond. We, America, the debtor has to pay that interest. So why is it a good thing that we exchange assets for junk stuff that depreciates? And now our trading partners have an income producing asset. They own a bond where we have to pay interest. Or they own a stock or we have to divert profits through dividends to a foreign owner and we just have a liability. We owe all these streams. I mean, this is nonsense that somehow we have to run a trade deficit so we can accumulate liabilities so that our trading partners can accumulate assets and get rich while we grow broke. And I guess Kudlow had brought this point up because he was saying that Trump shouldn't do anything to try to bring the trade deficit down because that would bring our Our capital goods surplus down. We want to bring that surplus down. Just like you want to bring the surplus water in your basement, you want to bring the level down. You don't want the surplus. You you want to get rid of all that water. I mean, this is just this nonsense. And for some reason, I mean, Cudlow on a lot of other things is a smart guy. But there still are a lot of people out there that just don't get the problem of a trade deficit. And I think part of it is that in the short run, the trade deficit doesn't feel like a problem because in the short run we get to live beyond our means. Like the example I gave the guy on the farm, he is selling off all of his farm assets and he's eating, but he's not having to farm. He's not gonna have to do any work. He doesn't have to milk his cow because he just gets he just gets milk from his neighbor. But then he sold his cow. Right? And so so in the short run, when you're when you have a trade deficit and a capital account surplus, life is good. You don't have to work so hard, right? But you're, just, you're setting yourself up for disaster. You're consuming yourself into bankruptcy. That's not what you want. You want to accumulate assets so eventually you don't have to work anymore because then you can live off the income of your assets. See, our trading partners are getting all these assets that are going to generate revenue. And in the future, they're not going to have to work as hard because they're going to just be collecting interest and dividends on all the assets that they accumulated when they had trade surpluses with America, then Americans are going to have to work twice as hard because they're going to have to repay all this debt. We're going to have to dramatically reduce our future consumption so we can pay back all the money that we borrow. Now, of course, in the final analysis, I think we end up defaulting on all these promises. There's no way we can possibly repay all this debt. So in the, in the final analysis, our creditors are going to get screwed. Because the bonds, for example, that they own, they're either not going to get paid because we default or they're going to get uh, paid with inflated dollars. So they're not going to get their purchasing power. But to the extent that foreigners own real assets in the United States, to the extent that they buy corporations or real estate or private assets, unless we actually nationalize them, you know, communist style, which I think the probability of that is very slim, then they're going to they're going to have those assets. They're going to, you know, like they buy the country out from under us and the dollar really collapses, and then the whole party comes to an end. But the reality is these trade deficits are bad. Trump is right that they're bad, but the solution to the trade deficits involves not just renegotiating our trade agreements, but it involves massive deregulation, massive tax cutting, and in order to do that, we need massive cutting in government spending. Because if we want to tax our businesses less, then we need to have a smaller government that requires less revenue so all this stuff has to happen and then it's all going to take time because we're not going to rebuild our manufacturing sector overnight it's going to take a long time it's going to require a lot of capital investment it's going to require a lot of savings which means americans have to stop spending they got to start saving we've got to start investing and all this takes time and in the short run it's going to be very painful that is the problem because again i pointed this out many many times Donald Trump has not prepared anybody for that pain. I want to wrap up this podcast by talking a little bit about the Super Bowl, not simply from a sports perspective, but from the lessons, the life lessons that you can learn when it comes to investing. Because, you know, there are a lot of people who, let's say, have been following my advice. Let's say you started following my advice about five years ago. And so that's when you started to invest in gold or gold stocks or overseas stocks and over the last five years of course you'd have been better off had you just bought u.s stocks instead because from that perspective about 2012 is really about when the dollar uh bottomed out and started a big rise gold and gold stocks went into a bear market and the u.s stock market rose so if you if you just started following me about that time period and you started investing internationally at least a portion of your funds that you invested with me internationally then obviously you'd have done better had you simply kept that money in the US stock market instead of course we only know this now with the full benefit of hindsight at the time you know it wasn't certain that US stocks would outperform foreign stocks or that gold would uh, enter a, a, a you know correction or a cyclical bear in a or, or in a secular bull But obviously, looking backwards, with all the information, we now know, yes, people would have been better off had they been in the U.S. market. But what I continue to remind people is this game is not over. I mean, if you have, let's say, a 10-year time horizon, and many long-term investors, even 10 years is not that long. I mean, you should be investing over longer periods of time. But let's say you have a 10-year time horizon and you started about five years ago. You're halfway through. It's halftime right now. And maybe the U.S.-based investments, maybe the people who invested in the U.S. stock market, they got a lead, right? They're winning at the half, right? The people who invested in the U.S. markets, yep, they're beating the international markets. They're beating, uh, you know, let's say gold or gold stocks. But this game isn't over. Just like the Super Bowl wasn't over at the half. You know, it didn't matter uh, that the Atlanta Falcons had a 21-3 to lead at the end of the first half. It didn't matter that halfway through the third quarter they had extended that lead to 28 to 3 right they were up by 25 points did they win the game no they lost the game it didn't matter that they had a big lead it didn't matter that they had the biggest lead in the history of the Super Bowl they still lost and in the final analysis the fact that they that they lost what difference does it make that they were ahead at one time i mean the only difference it makes is for the history books cuz now they have the biggest choke In the history of the Super Bowl, nobody has ever blown a lead as big as the Atlanta Falcons. But the fact that they blew a lead doesn't change the outcome. I mean, even if they were never ahead, they still lost. And the uh, New England Patriots won the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter that that they lost the first half. It doesn't matter that they were losing until they tied it up and sent it into overtime. In fact, the New England Patriots never had a lead until they scored a touchdown in overtime. That was the only time they had a lead in the entire game, but they won. And what the lesson is, and I talk to people about this all the time, because it is specifically true with investing, is it doesn't matter what happens in the short run. It matters at the end of the game. You know, I used a a poker analogy a lot, right? Because if you're a poker player, you know that you you could sit down with a bunch of people playing poker and certain people could start winning hands early and have a big stack of chips but if you're a good poker player you know that eventually all those chips are coming your way it doesn't matter you know where you are early in the game what matters is how much money do you have when the game is over right this game is not over if you've been investing in foreign stocks if you've been investing you know in foreign currencies and commodities and precious metals you may be behind right now, just like the New England Patriots were behind, but you're going to win the game because you got a better hand right? or you've got a better team. We are going to we are going to outperform uh, the U.S. stock market big time in the long run. And, and at the end, let's say over a 10 year period, we end up way ahead. It doesn't matter if the returns were skewed towards the second half. Right. It doesn't matter That the Patriots won the Super Bowl because they scored all their points in the second half of the game. It wouldn't have mattered if they evenly spread them out throughout the entire game because the result is still the same. They won and the Falcons lost. And I think that the people who are happy now, just like I'm sure a lot of Falcon fans and Falcon players were pretty happy at halftime. I mean, they probably thought they had that game in the bag, right? So there are a lot of people who bought the U.S. stock market a few years ago who were smiling and very happy. They think they won. You know what? They're about to run into Tom Brady and and the New England Patriots. Right. Can you imagine, you know, the disappointment that people had when you when you thought you were going to win, when you snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory? I think that's what's going to happen to a lot of these investors who think they won. They think they're they're at Dow 20,000. Right. And, you know, you, they, they think they've done the right thing. And I think, gee, you know, that Peter ship was wrong. You know, look, look where gold is. You know, look where, look where the dollar is. This is the halftime. And in fact, look at last year, right? If you just look at my investing strategy for 2016, you did better than the Dow, right? If you, if you bought, if you invested internationally, You beat the Dow in 2016. If you invested in gold and gold gold stocks, you beat the Dow in 2016. And you're beating it again in 2017. It's just that you haven't made up for the fact that you lost to the Dow in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. But a comeback has to start somewhere, right? When did the Patriots start their comeback? They finally scored a touchdown in the third quarter. They scored their first touchdown. They missed the extra point. But you had to start with somewhere. They couldn't come back from a 25-point deficit without that first six points. And then they added a field goal. They added three points, but they were still down by 16 points. But the turnaround happened. So I think our first touchdown, if you're, again, if you're measuring this just for the last five years, of course, people started with me a long time earlier. They went through another bull market cycle, right? A great time to have been following my investment advice was 2001 through 2007. I mean, that was phenomenal. Uh, But if you just started following me more recently, right? I mean, if you started buying gold, when I first started recommending gold in 1999, I was buying it for clients. It was under 300. I remember the first time I was buying silver for people. I was buying silver at the Perth Mint for under $5 an ounce. Now, sure, if if you didn't listen to me until it was 50 and you bought some way up there, that's not great timing but if you started from the beginning, i mean it's 17 18 now, that still beat the dow, you know, they beat you know, silver outperformed a lot of investments over that longer period, but if you just started, you know, 2012, 2013, then you're down right now. But i think that we are going to come back in a in a big way just like, you know, just like it might have happened if you far if you started following my advice in 1997 Right. For those first few years, you missed out on the stock market bubble. You missed out on all the dot com profits. But those profits went away. I'm sure a lot of people who owned Internet stocks, who wrote them all the way up and then wrote them all the way down, felt like a lot of Atlanta Falcons players or Atlanta Falcons fans. Right. People were very giddy. People thought they had all kinds of profits. People thought they really won and then they lost it all. Right. They, went, they went from all mega wealth on paper right, to nothing. A lot of people had that story. In fact, a lot of people ended up with tax bills on profits that they never actually realized on paper. But because they exercised options and they incurred these, these uh, tax obligations, a lot of people not only lost everything but had a, had a bill from the IRS. So you, could, you can go from uh, thinking you've won to losing it all. And so I think that is what's going to happen to a lot of people. They have no idea what's going to happen in the U.S. stock market. They have no clue as to how overvalued it is. And even if we don't get a collapse in the U.S. stock market because the Fed doesn't let it happen, because we have a collapse of the dollar instead, it's not going to matter. Because the returns internationally, the returns on gold and gold stocks are going to dwarf, I think, whatever the returns are going to be in the US stock market. And of course, if we actually do the right thing, if somehow Trump does the right things and Congress goes along with it, and the Fed goes along with it, then the stock market has to collapse because rates have to go way up um, and bond prices have to come down, stock prices have to come down, real estate prices have to come down and the dollar's coming down. I mean, there's no way we're gonna get out of this mess without a devalued dollar. Now, hopefully if we do the right thing, the dollar will be devalued and then it will find a floor. And then it will gradually recover as a result of all the good things that we do, all the prudent and productive changes that we make to our government and then to our economy. But if that doesn't happen, if Trump ends up falling into the same pattern as Obama and Bush because he doesn't want to deal with the short-term pain and the voters' wrath of having to actually deal with the problems by biting the bullet— And, you know, and and, and sucking it up. Right. And actually having the pain so that we can get the long term gain. If instead we just go back for more bubble blowing. Right. More money printing, more QE, more deficit spending. Then, you know, then the dollar just completely collapses. But we got, as I said, we're at halftime. We're already beginning to come back because, you know, last year we beat the U.S. markets. This year we're beating the U.S. markets. We still haven't completely overcome. Right. We haven't caught back up. As again, it took the Patriots until the final minute of the game to finally tie uh, the Falcons, but then they won. But I don't think it's going to be, the analogy is going to be that perfect. Because I don't think we're not just going to tie them up and then need an overtime to barely win by a few points. I think over the next five years, we're going to leave them in the dust. I think it's, you know, we're going to be so far ahead. By the time this ends of course none of this is you know none of this is guaranteed this is my opinion this is what i think is going to happen now did i think that five years ago did i think the u.s markets would be where they are and gold would be where it is and the dollar would be where it is no that was not what i thought was the most likely uh path that the markets would take but that's as it turns out that's what happened But I think I was right as far as the underlining fundamentals of how things are playing out in both the U.S. economy and the global economy. I just think that current market prices don't reflect that reality, and they also don't reflect what is going to happen. And that was the same thing uh, before the the stock market blew up in 2008, before the real estate market blew up. I was warning about these problems for years before they were reflected in, in the markets And I think the same thing is going to happen again. So there there are a lot of lessons to be learned from that football game. There always are, you know, life lessons, but more importantly, in investment lessons. So hang on to these stocks. And in fact, if you have the opportunity, if you have the ability, because a lot of people who have invested money with with me and my strategy, they send a portion of their assets to invest internationally or in, in, in gold, as they should and they kept another portion in maybe in the U.S. market. Well, now the U.S. market is very expensive, just like it was in 2000 and 2001. The foreign markets, the emerging markets, gold stocks are on a relative basis a much better deal. And I think it's a great opportunity uh, to take money out of the U.S. market when it's expensive and add to your Uh, Positions internationally before the bottom drops out of the dollar, before the dollar really starts to slide, and before these overseas stocks become much more expensive, especially if you have to buy them with depreciated dollars.
1: Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Europacific Bank at europacbank.com. Europacific Capital and Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.
0: Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail... Silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download the Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit ShiftSilver.com to download my free report. That's ShiftSilver.com.